Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to a special midweek episode of the Baseball Insiders. I am Adam Weiner, alongside fanside as MLB insider Robert Murray, and we just recorded with three-time MLB All-Star Curtis Granderson. Notably of the Mets, Yankees, and Tigers, also played with the Brewers and gave us some great insight on Craig Council. Curtis is straight off the set of TBS's playoff broadcasts and joined us today to talk about the Chicago Baseball and Educational Academy, which he started in 2016, as well as plenty of great nuggets about the Phillies, Rangers, and that incredible Citizens Bank Park home field advantage. I'll just throw it straight to the interview. Hope everybody enjoys. Well, Curtis Granderson, thank you so much for joining us here on the Baseball Insiders, and you are here to talk about the Chicago Baseball and Educational Academy, which you started. Uh, so tell us more about how you began the program, how it's growing, and what it represents to you. Home is Chicago for me. It's so interesting. You know, a lot of people see me in Chicago. What are you doing here? I go, this is my home. And I guess since I spent so much time in New York and Detroit, that's where a lot of people assume I'm from. But I went to the University of Illinois at Chicago. I still live in Chicago. And I made a large donation to get the stadium built there, not only for the university, but for the community. And with that being for the community, we created the Chicago Baseball and Educational Academy, which is home to about 60 different communities in the Chicagoland area. Kids ages 8 to 18 get to practice, play, and train baseball, and we've just recently added softball all year round. And you all know it. If you're from Milwaukee or from the Midwest or from Chicago or from Detroit or from New York, any of those places that I've mentioned and also played in, once the winter comes, it gets cold. So the question has to be, well, where do these kids play once it gets cold? We also have the indoor facility as well. So these kids get a chance to keep going all year long. And it's not just baseball. We rolled out an umpire training camp. We've had coaches clinics and we have a lot more things coming here soon. And you mentioned, I've, I've read that you, you know, another focus of the Academy is, is making sure that, you know, you're focused on education as well, using baseball to help benefit these young athletes, you know, helping them learn, helping them learn in other facets of their life. I would love to hear more from you on sort of how you believe baseball could positively influence, you know, that sort of productive education for young people, not just young players. I come from an educational background. Both my parents taught in the Chicago public school system. My sister currently teaches at the university level. She's a teacher at Jackson State University in Mississippi. And, and I myself, at the time while I was playing Major League Baseball, I was one of a handful of players with a college degree. So I knew the importance of education, not only for just making you a better student and a better student athlete, but just for providing more opportunities as you continue to get older and want to do whatever the future holds for you. Because no matter what, I always tell kids, it doesn't matter if you love video games, you love music, you love movies, you love food, you love teaching, you have to educate yourself on how to be able to do it. Now, it may not always be in the traditional sense with reading, writing, and arithmetic, but you have to learn how to be able to do it. Same thing with baseball, same thing with sports. We don't all just roll out on the field and know how to hit the ball, how to catch the ball, how to steal the bases, know where everything is at. We have to learn those rules. We have to practice it. We have to train it. 
just like studying. We have to get ourselves ready for the quiz, ready for the game, ready for the test, ready for the tournament. So all of it overlaps. So we use baseball and I make a lot of analogies while we're out there and the kids and the parents look at it and go, oh yeah, that is about the same thing. Because if you look at the course of the Major League Baseball season, it's 162 games over the course of 180 days. Well, if you look at the academic school calendar, it's about 180 days. So a lot of it, again, just goes hand in hand. So we always try to make those relationships so that kids understand that not only am I playing sport, I can apply a lot of this to my academics, whether it be in the classroom, whether it be in whatever it is I'm trying to study and learn and just understand a little bit more about. Yeah, and and, and shifting gears uh, to the MLB postseason now you played in a lot of different environments. I'm curious from your perspective, what has been the most hostile environment that you've played in? And also what do you think it would be like playing in Philadelphia right now? <laughs> so it's interesting. You talk about Philadelphia and I'm watching those series unfold as we're covering the games on TBS and you can sense the energy in that crowd. Unfortunately, every time I played in Philadelphia, that energy wasn't there because the team wasn't a playoff team. You know, I was my first time there was in 2007. So they were coming for a playoff. I was with the Detroit Tigers, but it wasn't there yet. And then the most recent times I was with the Mets. And we were on top of the division at that time. So it didn't necessarily get that sense that I'm seeing on TV. I didn't get the batteries thrown at me like I had heard about. I didn't get the pennies thrown at me, but I had heard all about that. And I think that may be what's happening now because that place looks insane. Now, for me, throughout the course of my playoff experience, probably the most interesting, I would say, was when I was with the Yankees and we went to play the Texas Rangers. I think that was in 2010 or 11. We get on the field for the anthems. I think it's game three of the series. So they introduce us all. We're all out there. They got the flyover over the stadium, the big flag on the field. Everybody's all patriotic. And they finish the national anthem with the last couple words with, and the home of the brave crowd goes nuts. Then they just break out into Yankee suck, Yankee suck. 50,000 people going crazy. So that, that was kind of interesting because I had never seen it like that. Usually the cheers are for the home team, not against the visiting team, at least to start the game, because right now it's 0-0. So for me, it was probably that one. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Yankee fan. People love to tell us we suck now. I remember at the I was at the 2012 All-Star game that you played in, and the crowd at that game in KC, like they really let you guys have it. That was one round. I'll never forget how much they told you you sucked. Uh, and then if you remember the home run derby, oh, so yeah. Robinson Cano's hitting in the home run derby and everybody's upset that Billy Butler for the Kansas City Royals didn't get in the derby. But keep in mind, Robinson Cano had won the home run derby the year before in Arizona and they're booing him. He's swinging and missing. He's popping up. And I was like, ooh, this is not looking very good right now. I was hoping if we could replay it back then because Billy Butler was on the all-star team. If we could have done it, this is a woulda, coulda, shoulda. As Cano is like 0 for 3, 0 for 4, he should have called time, had Billy Butler come in, almost like a pinch hitter in the home run derby, and the place would have went nuts, and he would have been a fan favorite. But again, this is a woulda, coulda, shoulda moment, and uh, it didn't go the way that everybody anticipated. Yeah, I was sitting in the upper deck in a Cano shirt, and halfway through, I was like, I wanted to get pinch hit for. I wanted to get out of there. Um, it, it, we're talking a lot about uh, struggles this postseason, which is a tough narrative because We've got great series. You know, the Diamondbacks and Phillies look poised for a great. The Rangers and Astros are obviously 
Um, great start to that series, but still a lot of conversation about the 100 win teams and the top seeds that we lost. Um, do you think it is a format issue or do you just think it's sort of a, hey, you know, this is the playoffs. It's a short series. You got to be ready for it. I'll break it down a couple of different ways. In 2006, when I was with the Detroit Tigers, we had beat the Yankees in the division series. Nobody expected us to do that. We sweep Oakland in the championship series, and then we get six days off. We roll into the play or go into the World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals, a team we had swept earlier in that year, and we couldn't swing a bat to save our lives. And keep in mind, we had hitters on our team. We had Maglio Ordonez. We had Pudge Rodriguez Hall of Fame. We had Placido Polanco. Our offense was rolling on all cylinders in those previous two rounds. We get to the World Series and we couldn't do anything offensively. And I remember that going, I, I can't remember how to hit. These layoffs are killing me. Now let's fast forward. We've seen it happen on a number of different ways with Colorado swept and then had to wait before they played Boston in the World Series. Now you're watching it happen again this year. Is it a format issue? It's hard to pinpoint exactly, but when you look at the schedule for the first round of the playoffs, the division series, it's unlike any other time throughout the course of the season. You're one of those 101 teams. Your last game was on Sunday. Your first game is on Saturday. That's the first thing. The second thing is you were off again on Sunday. And if you were the National League, you played Monday, then you were off again on Tuesday. So in a matter of about a week and eight, you know, two or three more days, you've only played two games. There's no other time throughout the course of the season where it's like that. Even during the All-Star break, which is four days off, everybody's off for those four days. You're the only teams that are off this amount of many times during that time. And everyone goes, is it real? It's only real for the offense. People talk about from a golf standpoint, People either choose to golf or they don't choose to golf because of the time commitment. You have to keep practicing that swing. You got to keep practicing all the different clubs, all those different parts of the field. And remember, that ball is not even moving. So now you think about a baseball swing. You still have to keep the swing. You got to keep the fine skills, you know, the, the motor skills. Plus the ball's moving. Plus you have people yelling at you and screaming at you. The speed is changing, all these different things. So when you haven't picked up that bat in a little bit of time, it can be a little weird to kind of get back into the rhythm and get it back going. So format-wise, one of the things I would love to see is go back to the one-game wild card, do that on Tuesday. Then you start the division series on Thursday. So now those teams have only sat Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're talking three days. And then you and make that a seven-game series. So you still get just as many games as you would for the playoffs. Plus, if you start that series on Thursday – Game two would be Friday. We would already be ahead of where the division series was this year. So those would be some of the things I'd like to change, you know, just to continue to get those best teams an opportunity to stay hot. I think they sat, they got cold, and it's hard to warm back up in baseball when it's the most hostile time of the year. Yeah, and also, like, as a follow-up to that, I'm curious, is there a way throughout, like, that week off, where you're able to stay ready is there a way to simulate game action or is it just is it is it those game reps that just mean everything yeah you try your best to do it and i think even snicker for the brave said you know we did everything that we could have done we scrimmaged we inner squad we had fans in the stands you even have some of the teams will bring up some of their players from the minor leagues that have different arms different people to look at and you add music in the stands there's nothing like it when you get a chance to play in against an opponent. If you've ever played any sport, no matter what sport it is, practice is fun up to a point. 
eventually you want to play somebody else. We can scrimmage as much as we want. We can do drills against each other as much as we want. But there's just that lack of intensity that can't be replicated until you put another team out there in another jersey who's trying to beat you in an inner squad in a scrimmage. I know you. We went to school together. We just had lunch together. We're hanging out. We're probably going to go to dinner together afterwards. Unless you and I have gotten into an altercation. And even at that point, we're probably separated from each other on the course of the practice or the scrimmage. So we're not even really dealing with each other. You can't emulate that intensity. So unless the, the probably the next best thing would be, hey, let's find a team in the area. Let's just say it's Atlanta and the Braves, you know, have the off day. Maybe they call up Georgia State baseball and say, hey, would you like to go ahead and do a scrimmage kind of like they do in spring training? But it's still not the exact same thing until you actually get that crowd in there and you get people with something on the line that they're really fighting for. And, and with that being said, was there any of these playoff teams, the early exits that surprised you more than any other? I would probably say the Baltimore one. That's probably the one that really jumps out at me because that crowd I felt like was the most energetic out of the other different crowds the, the teams that lost with Atlanta and LA. You could sense that they hadn't been there in a long time. That crowd is hungry for it. And again, this isn't taking anything away from Atlanta and LA, but when it's your first time being there in a very long time, it's just a different sense in the crowd. So they had it, they had it rolling, they had it going and they just couldn't get that offense going the way they wanted to. Now they did score some runs. They did hit the ball out of the ballpark a couple of times. There were a couple miscues there towards the end of, I think, the first of the second game. You had the caught stealing to end the game with the tying run at the, or the winning run, I think, was at the plate. The tying run was at the plate, I think it was. Tying run was at the plate. So you had that kind of happen in the situation there. So just a couple little miscues. And for that team to have rolled through the American League East, where you had three teams that made it to the playoffs, that was probably the most surprising one for me to see them get bounced out as early as they did. Yeah, a lot of great home field advantages, but that's the only one with a guy with a super soaker. So I feel you. I do feel like that's probably the the number one. Um, that uh, the reason the Orioles are gone is because the Texas Rangers kind of went supernova, uh, led by Evan Carter, who I think is a breakout rookie who a lot of people maybe didn't know even before October began. Uh, what makes him such an incredible player, so well suited for October? And Robert and I have been trying to figure this out, like comps for evan carter like what who does he remind us of who does he remind you of from your era well i'm looking at it you know a couple ways i think you know you have a combination of a young player mixed in with a veteran manager and you literally are marrying the two where you have this new style of baseball with all the analytics are focused and a kid that's coming up that way that's all they've known but then you still have to add in what has worked historically. And that's Bruce Boshi. You know, he's got three championships. He's played at the highest level, but he also has that eye test. He can see when a player has it. He can see when a player doesn't have it. Analytics are hard to go ahead and always accurately give you that. But years of experience, that's why you look at the last four remaining managers that are in it all have a ton of years of experience in this game and they've been able to work in combination with the new way of looking at how to go ahead and put together a baseball team and i think there's something to it why those teams are so together but if you're going to make the comps uh, of of this player that is all always a challenging one because i hate to put a comp on there and then when it never matches up go ah oh, you know that player came up short so let's for the first time let's comp him to himself 
let's just say, you know, he is the one of one. The first time we've seen a player go out there and do something like that, that is in his, his realm, because and I'll get it from a baseball standpoint. You always have the LeBron and Michael Jordan comparison. And my question is why, you know, these two players are completely different. LeBron is LeBron. Michael is Michael. Like, why are we trying to compare them? I know it's fun for it, but you're never going to be able to do it. They're always going to be different because they played in different areas. They played against different teams and just physically they're different individuals. So let's just say he is a one of one, the unicorn to start 2023 playoffs. And, and, and leading up into that too, you mentioned all the great managers that are currently in the playoffs and you briefly played with Craig Council or you played under Craig Council in Milwaukee and I'm curious from your end, what makes him such a good manager and how big of a blow would it be for the Brewers if he ended up leaving? Well, change is always a good thing. Not saying that you need to have change, but if it does happen, it's not the end of the world. You know, he won't be the first manager. He won't be the last manager, the manager of the Brewers. However, you know, he has been able to do a lot of things to keep that team very loose and very relaxed. And it's one of those situations, at least for the time when I was there in 2018, you go into Chicago and everyone's anticipating that the Cubs are going to go ahead and run away with it, or historically that the Cardinals are going to always run away with it. But then there's this Milwaukee team. There's this Brewers team where you have a whole state behind them up in Wisconsin. They don't always get the hype. They don't always get the talk, but they're always in it, at least for the last six seasons. They are always in it. They always have a competitive team. They're going to pitch and that ballpark is so hitter friendly that when you get players and they get hot like Yelich did in 2018, you get to see things that you never see where a player just goes off and hits two and hits three and hits four and keeps hitting him. Once you match that up with the pitching staff that you have, you know you can compete with anybody at any time. Now, this year, they ran up against a tough Arizona team in the postseason who came in and played well. But in both of those games, Milwaukee was up. So they had a chance to go ahead and win that series and be ahead in that series. They just weren't able to hold it against a very pesky and aggressive team that just didn't, didn't continue to, didn't stop, you know, even though they got down. But Council's been a great manager over there. Uh, the players love playing for him. He still mixes again, you know, having played not so long ago. He also still looks like a player from the way he keeps himself in shape. He looks like he can go out there and, and, and go ahead and do it. And I think a lot of that resonates with that staff over there and the fan base. You know, it's one of the uh, really cool fan bases up there. So I really enjoyed my time playing there. And I know those fans enjoy having him manage that team. And, and one of the teams that he's been connected to, if he does leave Milwaukee, is, is the Mets. And from your end, what do you think of the direction of the Mets and how they ended up spending what felt like a billion dollars this past offseason? Well, I, I have nothing wrong with them teams going out there to spend. You know, you you look and, and see what you think might happen. It's no different than the draft. You draft a player and you give that player a ton of money, hoping that that player is going to be exactly what you need. But it may or may not always work out. You know, we've seen every number one pick hasn't always been the best pick in that draft. However, when you have a team that's looking to to build something and continue to keep it going and put together a team that's going to compete in the NL East and have a chance to be a World Series contender, you need a combination of spending, drafting well, developing, possibly some good trades. So even though they've spent a lot in 2023 and people are looking at it as, OK, it didn't necessarily work out. 2023 is not over. The winter meetings could be a very exciting place for the, the New York Mets, not only from a potential manager scenario like you're talking about is Craig Council could possibly you know be a, a suitor to go over there 
but you know, I was a part of one of the biggest trades that happened during the winter meetings. So stuff like that happens where you can go ahead and completely revamp your team by just moving a couple of pieces without having to keep spending. But then of course there's still free agency that is hot and rolling and, and during the winter meeting. So you could look at a big trade plus a free agent spend plus a manager hire and you go, wow, they have really made waves and made some moves to get the hype and excitement back ready for 2024. So, you know, I wouldn't put anything past it. You know, Steve Cohen has definitely showed that I'm going to try my best to get this club in the way that I want it to be, because it always takes some time to look at it from a college sports standpoint. Usually when you bring in a new head coach for a college team, they give you about three years to get things going the way that you want to. So Steve Cohen's technically still on pace to get it exactly where he wants it to because the Mets were a certain way before he got there. He's trying to get it the way that he wants it. That uh, the names in your winter meetings trade, like looking back on that, it's absolutely insane. Max Scherzer changed hands in that trade, right? Austin Jackson, or yeah, the all-star team. Um and yeah. even Evan Jackson, you know, I mean, there were so many of us that got traded in 2009 that were still playing almost 10 years later. So I think that was the cool part. And Max Scherzer is going to be pitching in game three, you know. So in 2023, so 14 years later, a trade happens and you still have a player that's still around. In it. And so uh, I think it's one of those trades that uh, is very unique that it happened and it worked for everybody that, that got a chance to be a part of it. That trade sent you to the Yankees. You then played for the Mets. And on your way into playing for the Mets, you said at your press conference that people told you real New Yorkers are Mets fans or like, you know, the, the crowd is maybe real New Yorkers. Um, on your way out after playing for both franchises, how would you assess that comment? Like, how are the different fan bases? So, you know, literally right before I got traded, I had a couple of friends that were from New York, born and raised in New York. And as they were talking about the Mets, this is before I was even rumored to be signed with them or anything like that. They just said, you know, true New Yorkers are Mets fans. And I said, why is that? They go, you know, if you're from here and you've been around it and you are a Mets fan, like you are a true New Yorker. That's where I got it from. Now, having played for four years for the Yankees and four years for the Mets, the one thing that I really noticed that kind of solidified that statement as being pretty accurate is I remember meeting a lot of people that were visiting New York for the first time and they would say hey look I bought a New York hat I go no that's a Yankee hat they go oh well it has the NY on it that's what I'm supposed to do it's like I get off the plane I get on the subway I get me a slice of pizza and I buy me a New York hat now that speaks volume to what the New York Yankees organization has done historically they're arguably the most recognizable baseball team in the world I've got a chance to promote baseball in other countries, places where baseball is not very popular. And one thing that always comes up, go, I don't follow baseball, but aren't the Yankees a team? So you have that side of it, right? Everyone knows of the Yankees. But that doesn't mean you're a fan of the Yankees. That just means you know them. You've seen them in movies. You've seen them in shows. Now, if you are a Mets fan, you didn't just find out about the Mets. You are a fan. Your mother, your father, your grandmother, your grandfather is got you wearing blue and orange. That didn't just happen. You didn't get off the subway and get off the train flying into LaGuardia or JFK going, you know what? I'm going to pick up a Mets hat. That just doesn't happen. So from that standpoint of it, if you are a Mets fan, yes, I agree that that's a true New Yorker. Now, if you are a Yankee fan, you could be from all over the world because it is one of the most popular fan bases it's one of the most popular teams to have ever played this game so i think it's a mix of those two things and i will say this you know everyone asks which stadium city field or yankees stadium is louder i'll say that yankees i'm sorry city field 
if they are cheering you, because again, it doesn't always happen. And in 2015, it was happening for us. That place was rocking. However, when they are booing you, it is one of the loudest places also. So <laughs> you get a mixture of both sides of it. And uh, it was definitely fun to play on both of it. My only regret looking back on it was I wish I didn't buy, I wish I would have bought something there. I spent almost eight years of my life in New York and I should have owned some property, but I was just renting the whole time because I didn't know I would be there that long. Well, there's still time to come back, uh, but you are here, Curtis Granderson, on behalf of the Chicago Baseball and Educational Academy. We thank you so much for joining us. Uh, before we sign off, anything else fans need to know about the Academy, any upcoming events, and, and where should they follow you? We have our fall tournament, or I'm sorry, our fall training camp going on right now. It just kicked off on uh, yesterday, Monday night. We have three weeks of that rolling up. We'll have another umpire training camp going on. But for all the kids that are in the area, if you happen to be in Chicago, you know, looking to get some high level instruction from division one coaches, some of the best in baseball, definitely follow us. CBEAUIC.org. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Definitely take a look at us and see what we got going on in my hometown of Chicago. Curtis, thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck throughout the rest of the postseason uh, dealing with Pedro Martinez. Uh, good luck with that. He keeps it loose and keeps it relaxed. The good thing is I never got to face him, so we don't have that rivalry. But I always wished I would have got a chance to face Pedro because he always looked like he was going to throw at you. But he's a big, soft teddy bear when you get him outside of baseball, but not on that mound. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.